Well, good morning, everybody. How's it going? Happy uh, Father's Day to all you dads out there. I'm really glad to see you all this morning. Uh, And let me be the first to have teed you up for perhaps your first dad joke of the day. You can say, hi, really good to see you this morning. I'm dad. Okay, well, come on, dads. Pick it up. These are for you. Come on, people. Wake up today. Jeez. Happy Father's Day to you, dads. Good to see you all here today. My name's Aaron. Uh, the last 20 seconds I've been talking uh, to get you used to the fact that there's not a microphone or a guitar in front of me. Uh, usually I'm up here leading uh, us in songs, but today I've been asked and been given the privilege to preach uh, a message on prayer. I'm really excited to get to share that with you guys today. If you're joining us for the first time in this series, we are in uh, this series that we are calling Prayer. And as a part of this series, our teaching team decided to use this uh, faucet illustration. You just watched it in that video that was on the screen. Uh, Our prayer lives, and we've been describing a lot like a water faucet. At a water faucet, at a tap, the water is always available to you. But in order to access the water, you must actually first reach up and turn on the tap in order for the water to start flowing. Likewise, with our prayer relationship with God, God is always available to us in prayer, but we must first actually reach out, reach up in prayer and connect with God. God is always available to us, but we must take the time to reach out to God in our prayers. I don't know about you guys, but many uh, kitchen sinks, at least my kitchen sink at my apartment, it has uh, one of those, uh, you know, it's got the, fa- the tap, you know, it's got the hot and cold water. And then off to the side, it's got this uh, little spray nozzle, um, which I love when I'm hand washing dishes because ours in particular is very high pressure. And it gets like the syrup and grime off without me having to touch like the food. I hate touching wet food, man. That's disgusting. But it has a, you know, this, this little faucet. And don't ask me how I know this little trick, but if you take a rubber band, and you put it over this up, and you twist it, and put it back over, and you twist it again, and put it back over. It tightens down over that little uh, that little trigger that uh, gets the spray nozzle to activate. Uh, and so, let's just say hypothetically, your brother comes down first thing in the morning while you're still asleep, and he wants a drink of water from the tap. So he reaches up to the tap, and he goes and you know turns on that cold water, and he gets sprayed in the stomach. Hilarious. Don't ask me how I know this, by the way. <clears throat> but he gets sprayed in the stomach. If you're a normal person, you get sprayed in the chest, or if you're, you know, my wife's family's case, you get sprayed in the face. I'm, I'm married into a family of hobbits. I'm, I really am a giant among dwarfs there, but they really do like me because I feel useful at family gatherings. They say, Aaron, there's a bowl on the top shelf. Can you get that down for us? And I feel very appreciated. No, but like, what I'm, what I'm trying to say here is, like a... Water blasts to the face. Sometimes God's answers to prayers, I think, can surprise us. I think we have an expectation of what we want our prayers to be. And I don't think that it's God pranking us with uh, weird answers or anything like that. But maybe, here's what I'm suggesting, maybe in our personal purposes of our prayers, we can set up expectations of a certain result. For example... God, let the Bears win today. I'm treading very carefully here. First of all, that prayer will always go unanswered. I took a big risk with that one right there. I need you to understand that. Second of all, 
Oh no, they lost to the Kansas City Chiefs. Okay, okay, we're moving on. Okay, okay, sorry, okay. So what does that mean about our prayer? God let the Bears win today. What does it mean about our prayer? Did God leave the prayer unanswered? Did he say no? Not necessarily, no. I just think that sometimes the form of our prayers will affect the way that we interpret the answers to our prayers. Because prayer is not getting a, about getting what I want. It's about getting what God wants. And God clearly wants the Kansas City Chiefs to win. <laughs> apparently not the Super Bowl, though. So, uh, you know, according to uh, this last year's results, apparently God is on Tom Brady's side. But we will move on before we think too much about that. This series on prayer is not a how-to series. Uh, if you want to explore the how-to of prayer, I invite you to come to our mid-size group this Wednesday at 6.30. That's at our Urbana location in Lincoln Square Mall in Urbana. Uh, it's not so much a how-to series as it is us asking this question. How's your prayer life? How's it working out for you? Does it exist? Is it effective? Is it good? Could your prayers be richer, more clear, more purposeful? I think we can look to Jesus' example in John 17 for a good gut check on our prayer life. In week one of this series, Danny brought us a message from John 17, uh, setting the table for why Jesus prayed to begin with. I mean, it's kind of weird, isn't it? Isn't he God? Uh, it's kind of like sending a letter to yourself while you're on vacation, so that way you have something in your mailbox when you get home, so you feel like you were missed while you were gone. It's like calling a cell phone from a landline just to hear the sound of your own voice. But for real, why did Jesus need to pray? I like how Danny actually put this in week one uh, in his sermon for us on prayer. For Jesus, prayer was about modeling his dependence on God, embracing intimacy with God, and seeing lives changed for God. Jesus sets an example for us in more than just, say, his moral teaching. I think that his spiritual practices are worth imitating as well. So are we dependent on God? Are we seeking intimacy with God? And are we praying for our lives to be aligned with God's will so the world may better know God? Well, let's look into this a little bit today. The question that I want us to wrestle with this morning is this. How do the intentions of our prayers compare to Jesus' prayers? So if you have your Bibles, uh, let's turn in our Bibles to John chapter 17. In the New Testament, you're going to find a bunch of dude names, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. John is the fourth uh, book of the New Testament, one of what is called uh, what are called the Gospels. And all of John chapter 17 is a prayer that Jesus offers on behalf of his disciples to God. We've already established that Jesus sets an example for us of what our prayer lives ought to be. And I think that as Jesus wraps up his prayer here the passage that we'll explore today, he shares a crucial point of purpose about what our prayers ought to include. Jesus' prayer here is intentional. He's praying for something on purpose. Within this part of the prayer of John chapter 17, Jesus is praying that his disciples might be united, that they might be of one mind, that they might be ready to uh, take on God's mission together as one people. Jesus' prayer comes with a purpose here that God may be glorified through the disciples' continued work on the earth. Jesus is about to leave them, and so he wants for them to be protected as they carry on Jesus' work after his death, his burial, and his resurrection. So as Jesus prays for God to be glorified through them, so I believe our prayers can match that end. 
We can pray that we may best be shaped into looking more like Jesus to glorify God. So, as we'll see, Jesus' prayer is intentional, not because he prayed for unity, but because he prayed for God to be seen through those he's praying unity for. So today, I'd like for us to start with this statement as we uh, read through Jesus' prayer together. It's this, if you want to pray with purpose, we must remember this, that God's glory is the goal. So, Jesus is praying for unity here in this prayer, as we're going to see, because the church, it had none yet. (laughs) The church was just made up of Jesus and like a handful of random people that he was like, hey, come follow me. So it was easy for them to be united behind Jesus because he was still alive. He's still with them. He's still walking with them. It's easy to be united behind something I think you can see. But what about something that you can't see? Well, Jesus is about to leave them, so he's praying here for unity to be united behind him even as he leaves them. So we see him praying on purpose for something that was relevant to the needs that the disciples were going through. And we see the heart of Jesus here near the end of his prayer for his followers at verse 24. It says this, Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Jesus' prayer here is a prayer of mission. Uh, Jesus wants to bring people to follow him, to bring them into relationship with the Father. And then Jesus said at the beginning of this prayer what that goal was. Uh, John 17, verse 3. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. The Son, that is Jesus, was with uh, the Father since the beginning of time. John chapter 1 is going to make this claim about Jesus. It's saying that Jesus is uh, divine. Jesus is God. And so what this means is that we can know the heart of God through understanding what God has revealed to us in Jesus. And God wants all people to come to know Jesus and therefore know God, that they may have life Forever. This is the mission that Jesus is praying for here in this passage. He's praying for his disciples to be prepared for the mission that is to come. And it's because of their work, as they were sent out from Jesus at this time together, it's because of their work that myself and probably many people in this room can claim that they know God. Is because they carried the mission of Jesus out into the world after Jesus left. So we're going to back up just a second here. We hit verse 24, but I want to go back to verse 20 and hit up what Jesus says just before he makes this missional statement of verse 24. Going back to verse 20, he says, he prays, my prayer is not for them alone. He's talking about the disciples here, those who are closest to him. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That's you and me. That all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. The Gospel of John this fourth book of the, of the New Testament, was written to uh, first century uh, Jewish 
Christians and converts uh, outside the borders of Palestine, most likely to people in the uh, eastern region of what we know as uh, Turkey today. And so this book was written that these people may begin to believe or believe more deeply in who Jesus said that he was. So John was written for us today as well. We can read and interpret and glean good things about our spirituality as Christians from the Gospel of John, but yet it was not written to us. It was written to this original audience in this eastern region of Turkey. And so I think that if we stop for a sec and begin to appreciate who the original audience of John's gospel was, I think we can have greater appreciation for the words in Jesus' prayer here. The book of John was written to a Greek-speaking community that was comprised of Palestinian Jewish and Asian Greek believers who lived under Roman rule, who were taught that Samaritans in John chapter 4 would be a part of God's kingdom. And uh, I just think it's funny that we live in a time where we have trouble getting Cardinals and Cubs fans to talk to each other. Imagine John's task, trying to unify this widely diverse uh, group of believers. To John, it was a diverse audience, so the challenge for these earliest Christians was pretty real. However, believers in Jesus at this time, they were the, they were the minority. In all of the diversity, they were the minority across social, political, national, racial lines. They didn't have the luxury of being divided for any reason. The mission of Jesus was too important that the world would get to know God. And so for our passage today, I think the author John included these words of Jesus in his gospel to show the quickly growing church of the first century that Jesus, he was, he was kind of serious about this unity thing. It was so important that John made a point to recall these words in Jesus' prayer for his disciples. Followers of Jesus were to be of one mind in one direction, one people, not splintered as they were believers in Jesus. And I think the same should be true for us. Jesus prayed, remember, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That's us. When the early church was being established in multiple locations, this concept of oneness would have been a common understanding to Christians, you know, in, in their role, in their presence in the world. The Apostle Paul, he wrote to churches in Corinth, Ephesus, Philippi, where we get the books of First and Second Corinthians, Ephesians, and Philippians, about being one and sharing the love of Jesus with each other. This certainly isn't an easy task, though. I think that we've all been alive long enough to know that people are pretty fickle. And there are times, if I'm being honest, where I wish that I could take back a conversation, that I wish that I wouldn't have said something, where I wish I just would have walked away, where I wish I just would have done something different or just done nothing at all. Practicing oneness is difficult, but we must strive for it if we are to look most like Jesus. I'm going to make a distinction here um, before we move on from this, is that there's a difference between unity and uniformity. This is something that we've talked about before as a church, and uh, is that unity, or, sorry, uniformity, uniformity says that we all have to believe exactly the same thing, dress exactly the same way, say all the same things, put ranch dressing on our salads just like God intended it, and like it. I feel like that, would, that should have gone over better here. We're in the Midwest. <laughs> While unity, 
unlike uniformity. Unity is the loving acceptance of another as we seek the same end goal and approach Jesus more closely. Think about it like this. In this passage, Jesus is saying, Father, you and I are one. Jesus, the Son, and the Father are one. And yet, they interact with us in very different ways. We are called to unity. We are called to oneness. But we aren't necessarily called to sameness. It's okay, it's okay to not share the same opinion. You know, whether or not you're a Ford or a Chevy truck person, or whether or not ketchup goes on eggs. I didn't know that was a thing but apparently there's contention on whether or not ketchup goes on eggs, or whether or not it's Reese's or Reese's, or masks, or presidential candidates. I turned 29 in March. Uh, Thank you. I I don't know know what that applause means. (laughs) Good job. You're almost 30. I don't know. It, it terrifies me, though. It terrifies me because <laughs> I feel like my brain finally turned 18 <laughs> and my, my, my facial hair is still 12. <laughs> I don't know what's going to happen. Maybe when I finally turn 60, I'll have a beard. We'll see. I'll let you know what happens. I, I, I relatively recently started following Jesus, though. I was baptized. In 29 now, I was baptized when I was 21. I had an encounter with Jesus in college that made me interested in being a follower. Uh, looking back, the amount of mistakes that I made at like 19, 20, and maybe even 29, <laughs> it was like, it's kind of, a, it's kind of astounding. And as I, as I reflect, I'm really surprised that anybody wanted to be my friend back in the day, or let alone let me be a follower of Jesus. But that's the thing, is these people did. And I know that some of the things I said, some of the things I did, probably didn't honor Jesus in the, in the best way. But nobody slapped me on the wrist, and nobody kicked me out of the club. Because people saw the desire in me to want to follow Jesus, and in their best attempts to follow Jesus closely, they did not keep me at arm's length. They drew me close. I don't think that we do Jesus any favors by being at odds with one another. Here's what I'm trying to say. The second that you unfriend somebody from Facebook, decide to not be on speaking terms with somebody, remove yourself from a family whose political ideologies differ from yours, you surrender any opportunity that you have to be an influence in their life. We all want to believe what we believe. I get it. But if you decide to keep somebody at a distance, how can you influence them to believe something that you hold close? If we want to influence each other for Jesus, we must keep each other close relationally, and we must be in prayer for this. Why? As a reminder from week one, prayer is having God's ear so that God may have our hearts. If you want to check your motivations in a relationship, pray about it. Yeah. If you want to be more aligned with God's intentions for your life, pray. Do you, are you mad at somebody at church? It happens. Oh, it happens. You should pray about it. Why? It's really hard to be mad at somebody when you're praying God's will for their life. 
God's will for us is that we would be shaped to look more like Jesus in the world. And it is ultimately for his glory. You want to make the name of Jesus known? Let's start with this church, because some of the best evangelizing I think we'll do is to our fellow believers. And no, I'm not talking about personal preference things. I'm one of the worst at this, by the way. Uh, I've been married for five months and um, to my wife, Olivia. She sang this morning. She's over here on the side of the stage. She's adorable. I like her. I've been married to, we've, been, we've been married for five months, and I've already discovered that there's, uh, you know, I'm not allowed to correct her cooking technique. Let me rephrase that. Uh, we've been married for five months, and we've already discovered that there's nothing wrong with her cooking technique. <laughs> Sometimes these little things, they can be important, but not at the cost of losing community with other believers. I don't want to lose community with my wife because little things. In a polarizing society, when we seemingly must pick left from right, this haircut or that haircut, social issue A or B, maybe we feel like, you know, we've discovered that over the last 18 months, it's really hard to be unified with anybody. But that's the thing. Followers of Jesus, followers of Jesus, they aren't united by temporary ideologies. We're not united by temporary political, social, whatever ideologies, whether it's Reese's or Reese's. We're united by Jesus something that transcends, that goes beyond this world. What unites us is Jesus. We need to agree upon Jesus. I think that when we agree upon Jesus, I think everything starts to make sense. Because I'll be frank, I don't think that we have the luxury to be at odds with one another. Why on earth would Jesus pray for unity? It's because Jesus is praying with purpose for what his disciples needed right then and there, that they may better glorify God with their lives. And that's what the disciples needed most for them to bring glory to God's name is unity. Because Jesus prays that when the church is united, this is what happens. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Christians are called to be a united front, that is, united in Jesus, so that they may be the best image of God's love here on the earth. Jesus tells his disciples, he's with them like from John 13 through 17, they're like in this one room for like four chapters. It's incredible. And earlier on in their night together, Jesus gives them this new command. He says, a new command I give to you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, by this, your love for one another, Everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Here's a good thought for us this morning, is that unity amongst believers produces influence in the world around us. If we want to make a difference in this world, we have to start with the believer in the row next to us, in the house over, the one who moved away a few years back, the one at a different congregation in town. We reveal Jesus in the world in part by loving and caring for the family of God because when the world sees this, they see something they're not used to. I would guess people in this world aren't surprised when they aren't treated with the utmost dignity. So what if we broke that assumption with each other? Our goodness towards one another is a strong witness to God's kingdom being made here on the earth. We must treat each other with dignity. We must not wear out those we are closest to or cause undue stress because of our carelessness. We must love one another with the love that Jesus gave us. Besides, 
If Jesus' followers, if Christians can't get along with one another, what makes us think that we're going to get along with people who aren't? Wow, Aaron, that's a great sermon within a sermon. It's a really nice soapbox. But as a reminder, we're in a series on prayer, (laughs) not unity. So where are you going with this? What does unity have to do with prayer? As I said earlier, Jesus' prayer here, it has a purpose. God's glory. Verse 25. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. In these two verses, Jesus is saying, God, the world doesn't know who you are, but they do get to know who I am. May the knowledge of who you are be spread through my work, my mission, and my name that you gave me to give to others. Jesus witnessed about the glory of the Father. He witnessed about the coming of a kingdom that is not of this world. And now we get to do the same thing through the power of Jesus. Jesus wants to make his appeal to the world through you, through us. By the way, this is the entire story of Scripture. This isn't anything new. The entire Bible is God drawing people close to him so he can bless the entire world through them. This is important. As we follow Jesus and look more like him, we might be the only opportunity someone has to encounter Jesus. We might be the only image of Jesus anybody ever has the chance to encounter. And that's why unity is so important. This is why following Jesus closely is so important. This is why following his commands is so important, that we may be an effective, honest, and beautiful witness to the truth that God's love has come to the earth and wants to change the world around us. Prayer extends God's love to those around us through us, that through our heart change, through us becoming more like Jesus, people get to know Jesus. Because in Jesus, we see the picture of God. And in us, the world gets to see the picture of Jesus. Jesus' prayer here is purposeful. It's not purposeful just because he's, you know, Jesus. (laughs) But because Jesus' prayer life points to the glory that God ought to receive. That God's name may be fully worshipped and that more people may come to know God. For example... Unity in the church, it prepares it for its mission. It prepares it to connect others to God. In our prayers, it's not just about giving God a honey-do list, but we are praying God's will and God's purpose be made manifest in our lives. What I'm saying here is that we, not that we should not pray for anything that we need help with, you know, sickness, guidance, uh, provision, or whatever, but what I am saying is that if that's all that we pray for, I think that we're missing a big part in our prayer lives. Philippians 4 sure tells us to present our requests to God. But there's so much more that we can ask God for. So what I'm saying here is not not a matter of don't pray. This is not what I'm saying. I'm not saying don't pray for this. I'm saying let's also pray for this. Maybe you pray for someone with a sickness. Maybe someone in your family is ill. Maybe also pray that that person may experience peace while sick that they could be a beacon of hope and light of Jesus to a world around them. Maybe pray that you or someone that you know 
Maybe the church could step in and help them, assist their family, make meals for them, do something practical, reveal the glory of Jesus in whatever ways they can help, whatever ways you can help. Ask God for that. Maybe you pray for a new job. Maybe also pray that God would provide for you in the meantime or that you would have opportunities to share the love of Jesus in your workplace if you still work there. Or maybe pray that you would have strength to trust him through the process of finding a new job. Maybe you pray for a good vacation. You can pray for a good vacation. It's okay. Maybe also pray that when you return rested, you ask God for new ways to show his son Jesus in new situations. It's not don't pray for this. It's also pray for this. There's so much more that we can ask God for. Because Jesus' purpose in prayer was God-centered. He focused on heart change for those around him. And he always turned back to God. He was reliant on God. So what if our prayer's purposes match Jesus's? I think that we would see our world change for the better. Not just because we'd hope that it would change, but because we would change first to be more like Jesus. There's a quote from this Puritan preacher uh, named Thomas Watson. He says this, that that prayer is most likely to pierce heaven, which first pierces one's own heart. It starts with us. It starts with us. You want to make a difference in the world? Pray that God would reveal what it looks like to look more like Jesus for you. Prayer encourages us to live as disciples. It's this dependence aspect as we relate to God. With God's help, we can continue to live like Jesus, and our prayers ought to shape us to look more like Jesus. If our prayers convict us and move us, then I think we might be on to something with our prayer lives. Prayer also reminds us of our walk with God, that personally, if we stop and pray and ask for God's guidance, that we're ascribing worth and glory to God. We confess and believe that God is in control and that he knows best. We pay attention to God. We pause and remember what God truly wants from us. It may be cliche to say this, but I don't think it's any less true. I think that the purpose of prayer is Jesus. That the world would come to know him. And when the world knows Jesus, the kingdom of God grows. And when the kingdom of God grows... God receives glory. If we want to pray with purpose, remember, God's glory is the goal. We're going to move to a time of response this morning. And what I want to ask you is a question that uh, Pastor Danny asked our staff a couple weeks ago in our all-staff meeting. He, he asked, what's the best thing that you think, what's the best thing that you think you can do without prayer in God's perspective in strength? The answer, you'll do exactly what you can do. Without God's perspective and strength, you'll do exactly what you can do on your own. And that cut me to the heart because I told, uh, I told the Urbana location last week that I'm a, I'm a, I'm a doer. I, I, got a, I got a checklist. I got a, I got a little half legal pad that I walk around the office with the clipboard and it's got all my little to-dos and whatever and you know I try to control my environment through like what I can do like what I can check off the list and 
I'm telling you that to say like, man, I'm, I'm one of the worst at this. Is I'll try to take things into my own hands and not rely on God's strength and perspective. And I wonder, I wonder if I wrestle with that, if that's true for anybody else in this room. I was thinking that maybe a better question to ask about our prayer lives this morning is, why should we pray? Uh, but rather, we should ask the question, why wouldn't we? Because if praying with purpose will shape us into better representations of Jesus, and God's kingdom is shown as a result, I think a healthy side effect is that our lives are changed for the better. And maybe that's part of why God wants us to turn to him in prayer, is that when we interact with him in prayer, uh, we get to see that he is good. We get, to say that he, we get to see that his way is better. So why wouldn't we pray for gentleness with our children, that we could set a better example of the love of Jesus for them? Why wouldn't we ask God for soft hearts for those who we consider to be our enemies? Why wouldn't we pray for God's wisdom through a difficult and trying time? We are witnesses of who God is to the world and with God's help and guidance, I think that we can become better for the world's sake. That the world will get to know Jesus and that we would get to know Jesus better together. Because God's glory is the goal. When we look most like Jesus, we reveal Jesus to the world around us. People get to see Jesus. People get to come to know Jesus. And God's kingdom grows as a result. This morning, I just want to encourage you guys that we had this uh, First, Christian Church, First Christian Church app. Sometimes I think that we can pray for next steps or guidance or to go deeper into relationship with Jesus. And I think one of the ways that we can do that is becoming, by becoming the answers to our own prayers. This morning, Maybe you've been cut to the heart and you want to attend the mid-sized group that's this Wednesday. You want to learn about how to pray better. I encourage you to attend that it's 6.30 at the Urbana location. You can check that out. But this morning, if you need to take a next step, sign up. Get on the app. Submit a prayer request. Maybe you need to talk to a pastor about giving your life to Jesus. Maybe this is something that you want to pursue on your own. Maybe that's something that you've never encountered before. But today you want to go a little bit deeper. We're going to take communion together here. And uh, Hebrews chapter 4 says, because of Jesus, we can boldly approach the throne of God in prayers. Because of this sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, that we can even approach God boldly, that we can even come before him and pray. It's because he's taken away our sin, he's done away with our sin, both now and forever, that we can approach God unblemished. It's because of Jesus. This morning... Let's take communion together. This night, John chapter 17, right after Jesus finishes praying, men would come and take him and arrest him. And he would go to the cross on our behalf where his body would be broken for our sake. You take and eat. And his blood would be shed. Take and drink. We confess that he is Lord and that he has won the victory. Let me pray for us, and then we'll continue in worship by singing together. Jesus, make us more into your image. Make us more like you. Be all around us. Shape us to reveal your glory that your kingdom would grow. Jesus, we love you and we trust you. We know that you're working in us now. Show us what it looks like to follow you more closely. Help us to glorify you through being united with each other and with the Father.
We love you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Will you stand and sing with us this morning?